0: You're listening
1: to Policy Room by SPRF. Hello and welcome to another episode of um, the Policy Room here at the Social and Political Research Foundation. My name is Nikhil. I'm a research associate here at SPRF. And today with us, we have a really special guest, uh, a scholar and an academic to talk about an issue that has been doing the rounds um, in the news circles of late. We have with us uh, Dr. Srinivas. He's a demographer by training and he works in the field of population dynamics, public health, regional development issues in development countries in general and in India in particular. Dr. Srinivas is currently a New Generation Network Scholar at the Australia India Institute and the University of Western Australia Public Policy Institute in the University of Western Australia. He has also been working as an assistant professor in population studies at the Center for Studies in Regional Development in the Jawaharlal, New Delhi. Previously, Dr. Goli has also been a visiting faculty at the in Germany. Dr. Srinivas has been working in this field. He has been teaching and researching for nearly a decade now. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Uh, Srinivas. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Policy Room with us today.
0: Thank you, Nikhil. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk on this important
1: issue. Yeah. So, just for the benefit of our audience, the topic that we're hoping to cover today is the Uttar Pradesh Population Control Stabilization and Welfare Bill 2021. So, this was brought into the public domain earlier this month. It has been framed by the State Law Commission of the state of Pradesh. And in the introduction to the bill, the objective in framing the bill and in bringing this up, as stated in the bill, quote, unquote, is that to revitalise efforts and provide for measures to control, stabilise, and provide welfare to the population of the state by the implementation and promotion of two-child norm, therewith, and incidental thereto. uh Doctor Goli you know in the light of evidence regarding india's population growth i mean you've done quite a bit of research on this and fertility rates across states in india uh, do you think that the state of uttar pradesh is right in framing such a problematic
0: yeah that is a bit surprising particularly at this juncture when india swiftly transitioned is considered to be one of the fastest in the world. We have been, uh, me and uh, Professor James, who is currently a director of International Institute for Population Sciences. We have together written a number of papers and we have been saying that India's fertility transition is way ahead of its socioeconomic transition and health transition. So for the general readers, you can understand it like our socioeconomic status and health status still not improved that much. But our fertility transition is already at the replacement level, at India level, and many states have low replacement fertility since last almost ten years. Like all South India, replacement level fertility in two thousand five around. And even in case of Uttar, the current like if you take today two thousand twenty one if you see the projected estimate, the TFR, that is children per woman is 2.3, okay? So in NFHS-4, that is in 2015-16, it was 2.67. Now, if you take today's uh, figure, like just an extrapolated figure, it is 2.36. So, it's almost at a state level, it is near just 0.26 less than the replacement level fertility. And India, being a signatory to ICPD, that is International Conference of Operation Development in Cairo, where we have committed that the, the approach for the fertility decline will be a rights based approach. Okay, so basically, improving reproductive maternal health and reducing infant mortality, and through development, we will uh, achieve the replacement level fertility and also sustainable population, okay, along with the improving quality of population. So after that, like you know, at this juncture, then again going back to target based approaches, and that to coercive and incentive-based approaches is something which is really surprising and we don't know what is there in the policymakers' mind in the state, but at outset, I can say that whoever involved in drafting the bill have not read the existing evidence. Um, because if you say their objective is to reduce the poverty improve the health well being of population but the literature so far whatever the literature on fertility is the causation is first the socioeconomic development and healthcare improvement reducing infant mortality then that leads to fertility decline it's not the fertility decline first then improving infant mortality that's because theoretically, uh, as a demographer, I can't agree with that. Because there is no evidence for that and theoretically it is wrong.
1: Thank you so much for that, Dr. Stinivas. And Just another piece of information for our audience from the bill itself. Um, the bill goes on to mention that, uh, quote unquote again, it is necessary to control, stabilize the population of the state. For promotion of sustainable development with more equitable distribution so just like how uh, dr srinivas was uh, alluding to this right now about the interrelation between socio-economic development and fertility rates dr srinivas you also alluded to the international conference on population and development in cairo in 94. Uh, i just wanted to get a sense of what um, the indian government's position has been on such an issue for example in the national population policy 2000 under the Vajpayee government there also I think you could correct me if I'm wrong but I I think there also we had taken a target free approach based on the informed and voluntary choice of citizens would it be right to say that that has been an ongoing stand by the Indian government in the recent past
0: yeah basically uh, after the, the disastrous efforts to uh, coercively control population during emergencies in mid 1970s uh, when indira gandhi lost power basically because of that uh, and uh, then people realized that like you know it's like a coercive policies and general agreement overall at the all india level uh, is that the, the coercive policies are, are not good. Actually, the 1994 Cairo conference, the ICPD conference, it's like a say in the demographic transition literature, we say it's a paradigm shift where India is also signatory to the agreements, right? So we decided, right, like it, as a signatory to the, the ICPD conference around the principles laid down. So we, Decided that we will go, like, go with a target-free approach. So it's not no more cohesive, no more like an in, in like a hard core like incentive-based approach, but rather it's a more enhanced choice-based and rights-based approach. So at all India level, the approach is the same, though each state government implemented it differently. still implementing the population policies differently, but at All India level, our approach is still a reproductive health and rights-based approach and target-free approach.
1: Thank you, Dr. Srinivas. Just again, for the benefit of our audience. So when we talk about the desensitives slash punishments that the the bill goes on to talk about debarring people from the benefit of government-sponsored welfare schemes, Limiting uh, ration cards up to four, um, a bar contesting elections to local bodies, bar on applying to government jobs, bar on promotion in government services, and a bar on receiving any kind of government subsidies. So, uh, Dr. Srinivas, you alluded to this before itself that population f- that fertility rates are linked to just to social and economic indicators. Um, and in light of this, would it be a right to say that the bill is really punishing the poor for being poor? Would it therein be um, an impediment on constitutionally accorded rights and privilege to the uh, citizens of the country?
0: Yeah, Nikhil, that's right. Like, you know, it's like this bill, if it is implemented in its present form, it will go. In- to widen the existing socioeconomic inequalities in rich and poor. Because just take the example which you cited, like you know, if you take the chapter uh, two from the drafted bill. So these incentives for the state public services uh, servants, you know, who are these people? They are mostly educated at least about 10 years of schooling. And they are in the like mostly urban based and and well off belong to a social hierarchy wise. They are in the network. Okay, they are well articulate, access to facilities. Okay, and if you go by NFHS uh, reports for Uttar Pradesh, all these around at least ninety percent of ten and above years of schooling population, have fertility below replacement level, okay? Today, the higher educated population, higher educated women, fertility is 1.9. It's way below the replacement level. So there is a huge implementation problem as well for the government. Actually, I don't know why uh, this particular thing has been not assessed by the, the law commission which has drafted the bill or any other intellectual associated with the bill. Because there is a huge implementation problem. At least 90% of the public servant will be eligible for the incentives. Okay, Because we are thinking this bill in perspective. I don't think that they can implement it retrospectively. Okay, So the fertility is now at 2.3 at Uttar Pradesh level and it is already 1.9 for the higher educated. So all are below replacement level. Okay, So do the state financial conditions, like physical condition, is in a position to give incentives to 90% of the existing government employees, even if they can give these incentives by borrowing or uh, in some help how do they impact on inequalities between the haves and have-nots, the rich and poor? So it's, implementation-wise is a big problem. Okay, then even if you take the, the other incentives for those who are not coming under the state government employees scheme, like the public servants, the common people, so for all BPL families, in the chapter 2.7, they say that you know, they, if a woman gets sterilized at one child, okay, if the child is boy, they will give 80,000. If the child is girl, they will give one lakh rupees for all BPL households. So if you take UP poverty line, There are 15 million below-poverty-line households. Suppose 50%, because it's a huge amount, right? One lakh rupees is a huge amount for a poor. So with this incentive, attraction to the incentives, even half of this poor population come forward for stopping childbearing at one and go for sterilization it is 7 million households. Do again, the state's financial or physical condition is in a position to pay the incentives for 7 million households? That's a big question. And what about others? Social welfare programs, social safety nets, apart from this is just one, Social safety net. Till now, the Uttar Pradesh government, since implementation of an RHM (National Rural Health Mission), the Janani Suraksha incentive is just fourteen hundred rupees, whereas all South Indian states have increased the state contribution and giving, like if you take Tamil Nadu, giving eighteen thousand rupees. Telangana giving 14,000 rupees plus KCR kit. Andhra Pradesh giving decent amount. Gujarat have Chiranjeev Yojana. They have not done any progress in terms of improving reproductive maternal and child health programs, which is the prime or approximate, I can say that is a nearest predictor of the fertility. They want to give for sterilization one lakh rupees or 80,000 rupees if you have a girl. First of all, the financial and physical condition of the state is not a low state. It's a huge problem implementing machine. Even if they implement, for example, when your infant mortality level is very high, particularly Uttar Pradesh, it is still around like one of the highest Infant mortality rates in India it's around sixty seventy two. So, uh, under five under five mortality is around seventy per thousand live births. So, when your under five mortality is such huge, then if a woman goes for sterilization after one child, then the state give a guarantee that. The child will survive. If the child is not survived, then there will be huge sterilization regrets. The many families may go without child, child children. One side your old age security is still very bad. You don't have social safety mechanism in the old age. Many families have go for children. Basically, as a thinking as a children are the future security, like social security for them, of who can take care of them, who can be a financial source, who can be caregiving. So if that is not ensured, the child survival is not ensured, then how this policy is going to, like what kind of Crisis it is going to bring in in the society. So I think it's very difficult to understand the mindset of the people who are drafting these kind of uh, bills. Uh, For me, it is really beyond my comprehension to understand, like the people who drafted these kind of policies and understanding of the uh, even either the Demographic condition or demographic situation and demographic dynamics and its diversity of Pradesh or its socioeconomic condition or diversity in the state or in other health con- other uh, you know the health conditions in terms of infant and child health. So
1: Thank you and uh, also in the,
0: yeah. and in terms of punishment wise, you have talked about punishments, right? See. If people have not come forward in case, like if, for example, if the first cohort of the people who are coming forward have these adverse consequences in terms of you know they have gone for sterilization with one child and their child is died after that, then yeah, like then second cohort of people will scare to go come f- forward for the uh, you know sterilization. So then how many people you are going to punish? What kind of law and order situation it can create? Because if you are barring them from educational opportunities, employment opportunities, or political participation, so this is going to create a huge law and order situation as well. So you're diverting all your resources, energies on unnecessary issues Then what about other SDGs? This is just one small target under SDG 17 SDG goals. So I think for me, it's really uh, surprising to see the way the bill has been drafted. First of all, it is not necessary. It's ill-conceived, ill-timed, and coercive.
1: Uh, Thank you for alluding to the social strife that such a policy could uh, bring in its wake, uh, Dr. Goli. You'd also uh, spoken quite a bit about the sterilization aspect of such a policy. Uh, Just an interesting uh, data point for our audience. In the year uh, 2017-18, over 93% of the sterilizations that took place in the country were on women so uh, dr goli the question i have for you is in a situation wherein you know there is rampant son preference um, in india would it be right in saying that such a policy would encourage increasing sex selective abortions and also what is the kind of overwhelming impact or disproportionate impact do you think that it might have on women in the state of UP?
0: Yeah, this is very important thing because so far the evidence we have seen across the world, where it it is China evidence or it's South Korea evidence, um, across the East Asian, Central Asian countries, even in India, whenever this kind of target-based population policies are implemented, in a society where it is with a huge, inbuilt son preference, culturally or religiously inbuilt uh, preference for the sons, definitely it will lead to sex selective abortions. It's huge sex selective abortion, and already sex ratio at birth in India is is deteriorating over the time. Even the recent SRS indicates that, compared to its previous reports, it has been deteriorated. So definitely, it will have a huge impact on sex ratio at birth. And whenever, uh, when it comes to women's status, it absolutely it is a violation of the rights because the incentives is particularly targeted for post-sterilization-based incentives. So in highly gender unequal societies, it's only the women who are forced to go for sterilization. I I don't think that because if you see after 1976, post-emergency, the male sterilization has been dropping significantly. So it's only female sterilization. So it's a huge disproportionate burden on women. And also, when sterilization are done at a mass scale, the quality of care is another important. If you have seen in Chhattisgarh, Jharkhand, some of the reports of mass sterilization failures. And also, it is a death of. Uh, several women. Okay, so when the quality of care, because when you done it at a mass scale and the in a state with, where the quality of care, even it for, for family planning or it for the maternal and child health, quality of care is very poor. So it it leads to even a kind of sterilization-based deaths also, which because we have an examples in the previous mass scale sterilization programs so definitely it is like a, it like women's women for it, in case of women's status is concerned it's a big violation of the rights and it will going to create uh, it instead of it say empowering them it is going to create more burden on them right, It is disempower them
1: Thank you, Dr. Srinivas. Another question that I had for you is in light of the statement that you made regarding, you know, evidence concerning coercive population control policies from across the world. So in India, we have seen that fertility rate across social groupings has seen a tremendous fall. There is a tendency to uh, frame an issue like this as a communal issue, but we have seen that, uh, you know, be it Hindu households whose fertility rates have come from 2.6 to 2.1 between 2005-6 to fifteen sixteen, 16 Muslim households have seen an even bigger fall from 3.4 to 2.6. So we have seen that the fertility rate has decreased across many states without having to use coercive laws. And this you spoke about even in your uh, introductory remarks about how uh, a country like India has seen a rapid transition, you know, uh, far uh, greater than the pace of other countries. But when we say that, you know, fertility rate has decreased, you know, across regions in India without the use of coercive laws, we also see that there is evidence from across the world, be it China, you already mentioned. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about the evidence from such regions where uh, there has been an institutionalization of um, such policies? What has been the impact and the implications of such policies from across the world?
0: See, uh, particularly take China, okay? China has implemented one child policy, okay? But today, the same country is reversing its one child policies now even coher- coercively forcing people to go for two child okay so what made the country to realize that the our one child policy is is a disastrous decision because if you look at the world population policy report by the UN except 71 countries out of 190 plus countries have now anti-natal policies. Anti-natal policies means those countries which are discouraging the population growth, like fertility, which are asking the people to have lesser number of children. But The majority of the countries, except 71 countries, majority of the countries either don't have any policy, like neither they're saying to it's given completely left to the people choice. And a significant number of countries, around 90 countries, have a pro-Nautilist policies. That means the the countries which is giving incentives to rise the population are encouraging to go for children, encouraging people to go for children. But once the fertility declines to very low level, we call low fertility or ultra low fertility, it is very difficult to reverse the trend. Take even our own South Indian state example. Today. Most of the South Indian states, they're asking people to go for, though not very formal policy has been set up, but political leaders now and then saying people to go for more children. Because people realize that the low fertility for long term is not good for the economy. If you come back to India China example. For France, UK, and Italy kind of countries, it took more than 100 years 120, 130 years to double the aging population from 7% to 14%. The same doubling China and India is doing in just 29, 30 years, respectively, for China and India. So such a faster aging In case of China, it definitely, it might get old. Of course, China is now economically doing well, but you need to find the differences between like, you know, Chinese political system to the Indian political. China is not a democratic country, Okay. So the implementation of policies, you know, like it's much easier in a China's political setup than, than India. So in case of China, this phenomena which we call it as is China getting older before getting rich, might become true because China's aging process is really very fast and in indian case is also equally fast and economically we are much behind china so if you do more disastrous kind of decisions like this then we might further fasten the aging process push then india also may get old before getting rich so the the windows of opportunity period, which is currently available for nearly 37 to 40 years might get reduced further. The windows of opportunity is the period where, you, know, you get a demographic bonus because of your working age population. So that also might shrink because before you get rich, your aging burden will, will push. Your economic prospect down, so therefore, I think there is much bigger thought has to be given while making these kind of you know uh, like a state-based policies, in particularly when it comes to the population-based policies.
1: Thank you, Dr. Srinivas. Just before we close out a very interesting discussion on the topic today, I just want to go back to um, some of your previous work on the issue. You have been ranting continuously on this topic in particular. And one point of uh, interest to me, I'm just going to quote uh, quote you from one of your articles. You've gone on to say that the current moderate to slightly high fertility amongst a few categories of the population, is because of lower education, higher infant mortality, and greater son preference and lack of access to quality family, family planning services. So in light of this, and in light of the discussions that we just had, you know, instead of a targeted incentive punishment based approach, what do you think that the state of UP or India as a whole should be doing? Should should we be increasing access to education, healthcare? Uh, what do you think is really the way forward?
0: See, for example, like just look at, people can compare the fertility rates across different castes and religions, okay? But if you look at Uttar Pradesh, for example, okay? Today, the Muslims' fertility is 3.1, like three children per woman. And Hindu fertility is 2.67. This is total fertility. But if you look at the wanted fertility rate, that means the number of children which women want, okay, it is 2.2. To exactly 2.03 in Hindus and 2.2 in Muslims. So there is hardly any difference in the wanted fertility. That means how many children Hindus want, how many children Muslim women want. There is no difference in that. So this indicates that there is a huge unmet need for family planning. Okay. In Uttar Pradesh, the unmet need for family planning is around 20%. So instead of focusing on meeting the needs of family planning services for these women, you're going to a policy which, even if it contribute to fertility decline, it's going to bring a disastrous outcomes at various other levels. And if you look at another way around, there is one thing I'm saying is the social disparity in fertility is very small, uh, particularly these uh, uh, caste-wise and religious-wise. Whereas if you look at for the same state, Uttar Pradesh, if you look at education-wise differences, the no-schooling women have 3.5 children, and 12 or more years of schooling women has 1.9. So the difference across educational categories is 1.25. Whereas the difference across the religious groups is 0.43. So, anyone has a minimum understanding of, uh, you know, like the demography can say, so we need to focus on education rather than religion or caste or any other like differences. So, it's a, the best investment is, is on education of particularly women. Girl children. Then the second important point is removing the unmet need for family planning. That is strengthening the family welfare program, making access to quality family planning services, ensuring the quality of services in family planning provisions. Then also, Improving maternal and child health so that infant mortality can be reduced because as long as people doesn't have faith that if I have one child, if I have two child, those two children going to survive, unless that belief comes in the families, I don't think that they are going to come for sterilization even if you give 1 lakh or 80,000. Even if they come for poor families, even if they come forward for you know incentive attraction to the incentives, there will be a lot of regret, as I said, the sterilization regrets. and that might leads to a lot of psychological uh, issues, disturbance within the family and women has been blamed. It might leads to marital dissolutions, lot of issues like you know, people, suppose if the women, Who got sterilized can no more produce children, then it might lead to marital dissolution, maybe more diverse, more separation. Then people want to get married for another women in search of children. So it's a lot of what I can say is diverting our valuable resources to unnecessary issues. So, better see whether it is all India level programs or it's state level programs. You go for the tested and uh, proved determinants of population stabilization of fertility decline. That is decline in infant uh, Ensure that quality family planning services are affordable and quality family planning services to every woman who want to uh, use them or to stop their childbearing or want to uh, increase the space between the births provide family planning services to them. And also education is very important because it's a know-how of these services and so that people can take the right decision, they can exercise their choices. So education is very important. So I suggest these three important channels to whether it is to population stabilization or improving the quality of population or if it is a fertility decline or for achieving any other SDGs-related SDGs.
1: Dr. Srinivas, before we really close out our conversation, this population control bill that was brought up in UP, it was framed by the State Law Commission. What do you think could have been done better, or how could this issue have been addressed in a more scientific manner? What do you think?
0: Yeah, Yeah, Nikhil, first of all, after reading this 18-page document, what I felt is, I think there is no subject expert, like particularly the demographers or population economists or who could have contributed significantly to like you know, understanding of the population dynamics, current population dynamics and their diversity, why fertility in UP is slightly higher. I can't say it is very high. It's slightly higher than other states. You know, it could have been better if the draft bill of the population could have been passed through an expert committee, a population commission. You know, we have population research center across the states. Every state, at least all major states have population research center. And we have Asia's largest population research center in Mumbai, which is under Ministry of Health and Family Affairs. And we have well-known international experts in population studies or demographers in the institute. So at least it could have been like passed through the expert committee or a population commission so that before it is putting into a public domain, of uh, this like an uh, understanding of certain intricacies, this is whatever we have discussed so far in this bill, could have been, been better drafted and the bit like you know the the real uh, like uh, the the policies which really can benefit to improve the quality of population and also take the, the currently slightly higher fertility state to population stabilization in a much better way so that it could have better developmental outcomes. So I think any state in the future, if they want to draft population bill, I think it should be passed through and a subject expert committee or a population commission and we have enough expertise in the country.
1: Thank you so much for uh, being so elaborate in your explanation of such an issue Dr. Srinivas you've very rightly pointed out how the best investment for population stabilization is education and quality family planning and this really harks back to you know this I think the slogan of the International Conference on Population and Development that you spoke about earlier, about the slogan of development is the best contraceptive. Uh,
0: this slogan of the development is the best contraceptive is from the alma in 1976, but it is much enhanced in 1994 uh, through the rights-based approach.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Srinivas. It it was a real pleasure and a real eye-opener as well for me personally and I'm sure for our uh, audience regarding what is now clearly a very problematic policy stand taken by the state of Uttar Pradesh. Hopefully, uh, better sense prevails among uh, administrators and among the political leadership in the state. It was a real pleasure talking to you, Dr. Srinivas. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Michelle. Thank you. So much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Policy Room, produced by the Social and Political Research Foundation. SPRF is a youth-oriented public policy think tank based in New Delhi, working to spark dialogues for a better democracy. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.